One of the biggest concerns for healthcare providers today is pressure, dealing with stress. How do you deal with the pressures of day to day? Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. My guest today is Dr. John Kelly. He's really known as a clinical professor of orthopedics at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, University of Pennsylvania. But in addition to that, he has a side interest, an important interest in humor, helping people deal with stress. And did you come across that, John, just because you were feeling pressure in your own life? Where did you get the interest? Well, I think I have to thank my genes and my parents. My father was a stand-up comic, and I grew up with one big monologue. I mean, he'd walk in the kitchen and say to my mother, chicken again? He would say in our house, my mom's such a bad cook, we pray after we eat. So I, I just grew up with all these tapes of, of jokes. But the truth is, I've been burned out. And I thought, I'd say 15, 20 years ago, I was at the bottom, just burned out, probably low-grade depression. Interesting, there's probably some a lot of cross-correlation with burnout and depression. And I said, well, how can I get out of this funk? So happiness is a choice. I chose to look at the bright side of life. My dad, before he passed away, I said to him, I said, Dad, anything you want to impart to me wisdom-wise? One thing you want to tell me? He goes, yeah. And he, had, he was a boxer. He talked like this. An old Irish guy I said, don't take yourself too seriously. Such great wisdom. So I think one of the greatest antidotes to burnout is don't take yourself so seriously. You know, happiness is a choice, and we can choose to dwell on all the negative, or we can look at the bright side. It's a choice. Is surgery a specialty that puts more pressure on you? I would, I would think just going into an operation every day, you, you got all those deals. Oh, absolutely. I mean, every, every case I do, I particularly like the shoulder, but you're always near a major artery or nerve. And we all do our best work when we're relaxed, when we're in the moment. How do you get into the moment? Well, you can do meditation, yoga, but also comedy. Comedy, if done properly, is a great tool for mindfulness. When you're practicing humor, it brings you back to the present moment. So I use comedy to diffuse tension. I make patients a little less nervous before the surgery. And it has to be appropriate. It has to be edifying and not effacing. You can be self-effacing, but you can never use humor as a weapon. But it's a tremendous antidote to stress. And don't forget, Brian, you and I are healers. We went to medical school to heal. And if the good Lord put us on this earth to serve other people, what better way to serve them than to make them happy? It's been said that, you know, emotions are contagious. When you bring up the brighter side of life and look at the, the mirth and, and the comedy that, and make people smile, then that to me is healing in its very most pure essence. We have lots of people who obviously are in primary care who listen to this program, watch it, and physicians across who take advantage of ReachMD and they do it. So I see you probably are tapping into something that a lot of people are facing because I mean statistically in the general public, I guess depression is one out of eight. Is it higher in medical circles? Absolutely. We're in a crisis now in healthcare. The burnout rate in some surveys is as high as 50% surgeons, particularly. Now, if you look at residents, uh, roughly 47% of residents are burned out, and the highest risk is in PGY2. So, you know, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Electronical medical record, you know, our residents now become pretty much scribes. They spend more time online than they do probably asleep. And we signed up to help people. But with that now is this inclusion of technology, and we've all become really a victim of overstimulation technology. We've lost person-to-person contact, which we're all social beings, and we need that to buoy ourselves and to lift our spirits. But when you're tagged to a computer all day, it's hard to be happy. And there are actually good data that the more time you spend on your computer or cell phone, the less happy you are. 
Now, what about that? I mean, how do you get around it? I mean, obviously, we grew up at a time we were writing on paper. Everything seemed fine. Um, I found a, a document I had had. I'm you know, chairman of my department, and I had a family practice office and how to improve it. And I wrote it 25 years ago. And it was a memo. I was just clearing out my desk. And I looked at the five problems and the five things we had to correct. And they're the same five problems 25 years, years later. Like, I've done nothing to improve this department by eyes, but we've spent thousands if not millions on computers and on technology and yet it's the same problems and it really all came down to are you going to stay that extra 20 minutes to see a patient are you going to come in early to do somebody are you going all the things that we do in care but none of that has been taken care of by computers computers have just in a way served as a barrier so what do we do about it well, it's a, it's a very convoluted answer I'm about to give, but it's about energy management and delegation. I am blessed to have a wonderful PA that does a lot of my electronic transcription, and I don't go overboard with documentation. Probably could be a little better in some realms, but I think that you have to make that conscious decision that technology is going to be your servant, not your master. So I apportion certain times to answer emails during the day. I don't do it all day. I'm not wedded to my iPhone. When I'm in the OR put my cell phone down. There are some colleagues I've, I've seen have the Bluetooth and you, know, you, 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 that you can't have good quality work when you're doing two things at, at once. In fact, there's, there's good data that multitasking diminishes the effectiveness and the quality of your work. So I would not want to go to a surgeon who's on his Bluetooth during the case. It's called mindfulness, present moment awareness. So you can't be think, doing two things at once. And again, the literature is cleared. When you attend to many things at once, the quality of those actions diminishes. Can you imagine, friends, I know your wife, Diane. Can you imagine talking to Diane while you're on the, on the BlackBerry? That just diminishes the quality of the conversation. And you probably forget what the score was that you're looking at uh, the Sixers game. So I think it has to be a conscious choice to make those decisions, to limit technology time at certain times of the day, and not to be so available. It's all about setting boundaries. Well, we're talking about residents, for instance, and the issues you said PGY2 might be a challenging year. But if you look at residents, I mean, at a lecture, we tell them not to. But basically, you'll see them, young people, on their phones all the time. Uh, I was watching a baseball game the other night. I'm watching. If you look at the fans, that was a Dodgers game. In the Dodger games, if you watch, you can see behind a home plate, and you'll see the fans very clearly. Well, these four fans who were there were not looking at the game. They, I, it was distracting the point where they were just looking at their phone. They're behind home plate. They're watching the Dodgers. You know, they're probably at the best seats in the house, and they're not even looking at the game. And I suggest I actually write columns for physician stress, and the last one I wrote was about going on a low-tech diet. And I use it an allegory. I was with our daughters went to school together. I was at one of my daughter's hockey games. And I got out of work as a surgeon. It was hard to make it. I got there around 4 o'clock. I was, she was so happy. She was excited to see me. And wouldn't you know, my Blackberry went off. It vibrated. It looked down. And Mr. Compulsiveness, I want to make sure I saw. I heard the whistles blow. Oh, I've got to finish the message. And I looked up only to find my daughter had scored a goal. And she saw me looking at the Blackberry. Boy, talk about not being in the present moment. That was a great lesson to me. When you're at the game, be at the game. When you're in the BlackBerry, be so I should have left it in the car. So again, there's data. The more time you spend wedded to your iPhone, the less happy you are. And also the less conditioned you are, because we tend not to work out. We're just uh, become virtual existences. But you and I grew up in a time where we just played. I, I, I was born and raised in a row house. I'd walk outside. I played baseball all day. Now I get these computer games and, you know, virtual reality. And I, I've been in rooms with young people where they're in the same room and they won't say hi, they'll text. 
So what does that do to our social needs? We're social beings. We need interaction. So if we look at medicine and the doctors, one of the young things, young doctors, and all doctors, but young doctors in particular worry about is, is the technology. What else, what other barriers are there? Well, the other barriers are just uh, you have to, you can't be all things to all people. You have to set boundaries. And 80% of your happiness is due to relationships. So if your relationships in your life are not in check, forget everything else. You and I both have great marriages, but we work at that. You know, you have to prioritize relationships. And if they're not given much attention, they're going to degrade, right? So it's a conscious, happiness is a choice. It's about making decisions that give you energy. So if you're going to be a compulsive workaholic, you're going to burn out. If you decide to work on your parenting skills and time with your children, decide to be a good husband, a good, a good wife, decide to invest in a hobby, you're going to have a happier and more energy-filled life. It's a decision. What are things you would suggest? Some of them have already given tips to doctors, people listening, that can make their lives better if they feel they're under the gun. The first thing is ask themselves, how happy am I? How happy am I today? And happiness is a choice, but happy doctors give better care. The one mantra I try to tell our residents is that, you know, you have to ask yourself every day, what am I doing now to give me some peace? Because happy doctors give better care. They're named in less malpractice suits. They have more compliance with patients. Patients listen to happy doctors. And remember, Brian, you know, you and I are in the healing compression. We can't give what we don't have. If our tanks are dry, we have nothing to give our patients. You start giving substandard care. I have six surgeries tomorrow. I better get good night's rest, spend time with my wife, say my prayers, all the things I do to nourish myself, exercise, so I can be fully present and give my best game. I'm tired, up all night writing that paper, or had a squabble with the missus who I feel estranged from. I show up, I get my B-minus game. That's not fair to patients. Happy doctors get better care. So the question our audience asks is, how happy am I? And if I'm not, what is out of balance? What decisions do I need to make to get back in balance? You know, it's the literature is clear that there's a certain quantum of work that we all need to be happy. And after we exceed that, we become less happy. Henry Ford nailed this years ago. The origin of the 40-hour work week was from Henry Ford. He realized that if his employees worked 40 hours and he paid them more, they became much more efficient. He actually cut back their hours, paid them more, and the productivity rose. So there was a study, I forget the author's name, but if you work more than 40 hours a week, say 60 hours, which we all do, our productivity for the first three weeks is a little higher. And after three weeks, it degrades and actually becomes lower than those that work 40 hours. So 40 hours, it seems, it seems like a magic number now. You're probably laughing at me how many doctors work 40 hours. Not many, but we can do it, and we don't have to sacrifice much, and our quality of work will actually go up. Let's switch gears. We talk about the hours. Residents now have hour limits. They can't work as many hours. It doesn't seem to have made them happier. Yeah, I think that's because they've neglected the energy of throughput of that. For instance, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. If a resident's up all night working up a hip fracture and he's really dying to do the case and it's going to make him happy, I'll let him do the case. And I say, well, you, you know, tongue-in-cheek, make up these hours somewhere else. So if they are engaged in activity they really love doing, let them do it. It's all about energy management. It's not so much time. It's energy management. So we have to say no to those things that deplete us, say yes to those things that give us sustenance. And for most orthopedic surgery residents, they want to be in the OR. So if they spend time paying their dues and they want to get refreshed and regenerate by doing a case, then God bless them, they're going to do the case. 
What about the rules, though? They come in and they say, "Well, you know, we we, make, we borrow Peter to pay Paul." I say, "Well, then you have to do less work, you know, this weekend." So we mm-hmm. have that eighty-hour bank. So you try to let them have the them fun have, and do what they enjoy. It's well, going to buoy their spirits and give mm-hmm. them higher energy. Let them do that instead of being so austere. Say, "Well, you're on call. I need to leave exactly at seven oh one. If they do an hour hip fracture case and they want to do it, fine." I know you lecture all over the country on this topic. Are there things in doctors' personalities that make them more likely? to suffer from depression or have these issues. Absolutely. You know, it's been said that many of us seek to heal others because of our own inadequacies to try to mend ourselves, to heal ourselves. And I think that, number one, you have to recognize that you have to master your own life first before you can really treat others effectively. So I've been through therapy. I think seeing a counselor, going through some issues. I'm a child of, you know, Irish Catholic family, a lot of alcoholism in my family, a lot of wounds growing up. So you have to name it to tame it. Take care of your own house so you can be present and minister to other people. And, you know, problems, for instance, like perfectionism, obsessive-compulsive disorder, which a lot of us suffer from, they don't just go away. They need to be managed. They need to be faced head-on. For years, I struggled with the perfectionism. When I first started practice, I would do the hour knee arthroscopy. It had to be perfect. It's that voice of perfectionism. And now I can do maybe eight, ten arthroscopies in a day and not be that tired because I, I learned the art of just flow, just being present, doing the case, and not listen to those voices. So I think it's get help, do a heroic self-evaluation saying, well, you know, where, where are my issues here? How can I get help? And one of the ways you can find out is what pushes your buttons. There's usually an old childhood wound there. My dad was a good guy, but, you know, critical, very critical. He was an alcoholic, so criticism is one of my buttons, and I realized i got to work on my self-concept because, you know, I shouldn't be so sensitive. The other thing is workaholism. You know, we all try to prove our worth through work, and I see people just work themselves to the bone, doing more and more and more. And that was my default option for years. When I wasn't feeling good about myself, I'd take on more work, trying to make sure that I felt worthy. Then I'd wake up just, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I got this chapter, this, and my OR schedule looks like the Bronx phone book. What am I doing? If we could all come to the realization, whatever faith-based system you have, is that we're already good enough in our Creator's eyes. And nothing we do on this earth makes us more valuable, really, in God's eyes and the universe's eyes. So if you come from that perspective that I'm already good enough, it frees you to do what you want to do. And you come from this perspective of abundance, not scarcity. i got to prove this. But I can show you some of the best researchers in Northern Peaks. They're doing great cutting work because they come from an abundance mentality. They're happy, they're creative, they're spiritual. Not like, let's look at the last 2,000 ACLs done, you know, rehashed, poor quality research. What I'm saying is this. Once you recognize that we're already good enough, you come from a place of inspiration, of passion, enthusiasm, versus coulda, shoulda, woulda, and the quality of your work will suffer. Dr. John Kelly, thanks for joining us on Primary Care today here on ReachMD. I appreciate your time. You're welcome, Brian. You're a good friend and you're a great doctor. Some great advice. I thank you so much. And until next time, thank you for joining us.